Welcome to our very first episode, numero uno, episode one of Total Reboot, the movie podcast by two very funny boys, if I don't say so myself, where they compare and contrast reboots, remakes, and ripoffs of cinema. That's right, we are a movie podcast, and my name is Alexi Toliopoulos. I am one of the hosts of the podcast, but I'm not the only host. I'm just the host with the most. <laughs> and I would like to welcome Cameron James into the fold. Thank you so much for welcoming me into the fold. I disagree with your <laughs> statement about being the host with the most. I believe that I'm the host with the most, and you're the co-host with the co-most. Okay. And that's official. Okay, that's official. It is canon. <laughs> I'm the co-most with the co-over. <laughs> You know what else? <laughs> you know what else is official is that we are the only podcast on the internet about movies. Yeah, congratulations, Cameron. Congrats to you. I'm so excited. I'm for you. so excited that we carved out this niche of podcasting. We're the first podcast on iTunes and the internet where we got to put the the banner of movies and TV films. It's so exciting because I just googled podcasts. Yeah, and what came up was obviously. NPR's Serial. Serial, most famous podcast on the internet about a murderer, perhaps. Uh, WTF with Mark Moran. Most famous podcast on the internet where a crunky guy um, interviews his peers and people lesser than him and people more so than him, such as Obama. I won't say which category he falls <laughs> under. Uh, another one that came up was... Mike Check with Cameron James and Alexi Teleopolis. Whoa, that sounds quite shagadelic, baby. That's <laughs> another podcast we've hosted for a long time uh, where we go through the entire films of Mike Myers just to check it. They're shagadelic. And this one is the fourth one. It's the newest one, Total Reboot, by those same two fellows. I can't wait to get started with this podcast, man. Mm. I'm so excited that we finally get a stupid opportunity to talk about good movies and bad movies and uh, and the, everything in between. Yeah, everything that kind of falls in between the cracks of those two. And I think this is a cool podcast for us to do because we're very film literate people. Mm-hmm. We've seen over 100 million <laughs> movies. I actually have seen every film in 1001 films to see before you die. <laughs> and now you're scared. <laughs> what are you going to do now? You've I mean, only got one option. I'm going to have to watch TV shows. <laughs> well, lucky you can read 1,001 <laughs> TV shows to see before you die, Come which is a much a worse challenge, I would suggest. <laughs> uh, but this is our first episode, and it is quite appropriate that it is about a reboot in cinemas right now. Uh, we are talking, firstly, in this episode, we're talking about the 2001 film... Lara Croft, colon, Tomb Raider. <laughs> Hang on a second. Lara Do you pronounce the colon? Well, I think you have to. Okay. Because this movie is first and foremost a Lara Croft film. That's and true. what is she doing in this film? She's raiding tombs. Yeah, she's a Tomb Raider. Yeah. Not Lara Croft, Relic Hunter. <laughs> this is Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Okay, that's what we're talking about this week. Uh, next episode... In this pairing, we're going to be talking about a film similarly titled, but not the same. It's just called Tomb Raider. Yeah, so this could it could be about Lara Croft. Who knows? We're not going to be talking about that. I have no freaking idea. I got no freaking clue. I got no freaking clue. Not even an idea, a clue about what it could be about. Hey, speaking of ideas, we need to come up with a. 
some cool ideas for nicknames for the fans of this show. Oh, yes. Already some people who used to listen to The Blank Slate and Mike Check have chimed in and given us a few ideas. Oh, there's like some to, good ones out there. There's a lot of good ones coming in. I want to read this one tweet that we got from at Blinking Abyss a couple of days ago on, on Twitter, Twitter, who suggested a number of them, a lot of booters. Not a big fan of that. Okay, it's it's a good start. Uh, Booties. Booties is good. I like rebooty bitches, maybe, is what we could suggest. (laughs) This is one of my favourite ones. Mm -hmm. It's totally off track with that one. It's uh, totalitarians. Oh. I like totalitarians. I love that. Well, totalitarians, welcome to episode one of Total Reboot, the podcast that goes through remakes, reboots, and ripoffs in cinema. And it is time for us to discuss our first movie. In our first pairing, this episode is all about Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider from 2001, directed by Simon West. Here's a little taste of that trailer, baby. This summer, the planets will align. It was the Illuminati who swore to bring their ancestors back to life. Time will stand still. Have you ever heard of the Clock of Ages? It gives its possessor the power of the light. The fate of mankind. Eternal hell revives! Will rest in the hands of one. Mm, don't stop. Angelina Jolie is Lara Croft. This is where I start to have fun. Tomb Raider. This live-action feature is inspired by the most successful interactive video game character in history, Lara Croft. Beautiful and brainy, Lara Croft Tomb Raider is one woman's successful and fearless quest, crisscrossing the globe in an amazing attempt to save the world. Directed by Simon West in the year of our Lord, 2001. Mm. I got that from Google. <laughs> Very much a Google blur. It's really bad, but I, I, it's true. She is beautiful and brainy. <laughs> I think it's also interesting they call her the most successful video game character. Yeah. Is that just because she's rich? <laughs> I don't know what they mean by <laughs> because that. Because maybe Mario's a little more well-known than Tomb Raider. <laughs> uh, let's get started in this film. Can I, wanna... I start with a question? Absolutely. Cameron, when it comes to the mm. adaptation of the video game Tomb Raider, Lara Croft Tomb Raider from 2001... Where's your head at? <laughs> of course, you're referencing the fact that this film famously ends with the song Where's Your Head At by Basement Jacks and a freeze frame of Lara Croft pointing those famous two USP bullet shooters known as guns. <laughs> Lara Great. Croft's famous two pistol look. I'd like to ask you a question mm-hmm. and a, a serious one at that. What is your history with Lara Croft? Did you play the video games? I remember I did play the video games. Uh, probably it would have been around the same time as this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this movie was a real sensation for me. Maybe I would repronounce that sensation for me. Okay. This movie came out when I was 10 years old. And for me, it lives in the same place uh, as my Spice Girl CD, where you could kind of see Posh Spice's underwear okay, through it. Right. Where I didn't really know why but I couldn't stop staring at it for a long time. I think what you're tapping into there is that this film was pretty uh, important in the coming of age of many men of a certain generation. And I would say that's our generation. It's our generation. I think when I think of Lara Croft Tomb Raider, I couldn't remember a single thing about the movie. All I could remember is the poster 
because I had it above my bed for really? about had this... five years. Whoa. I, I'll, I'll name the posters above my bed yeah. when I was a kid. Okay, so Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah. That got prime position, as <laughs> okay. I like to call it, pole position <laughs> yeah. right above the head of the bed. And next to that, you've got Road Trip. Wow. Starring Sean William Scott. Wow, that's um a great movie I've never seen. Next to that, The Matrix. Wow. Next to that, The Royal Tenenbaums. Well, Royal Tenenbaums with those <laughs> movies is up there. Really crazy. But I can I can barely remember watching Tomb Raider, but I remember the poster. I think it that poster is the Farrah Fawcett poster mm, of our generation. Totally. That's what it is. It's just that this is the film that launched Angelina Jolie mm. as a proper bona fide. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> as a as a movie star. Absolutely. And a sex symbol. Yeah, and I want to say something when we're talking about her as a sex symbol here a little bit. If anyone is uncomfortable mm-hmm. with these jokes that we are making, please I urge you to go to the podcast Mic Check. Yeah. With Cameron James and Alexi Toliopoulos, where we have proven that we are cinephiles who are expert in the genre of horniness within cinema. Mm. We're not talking about it from a perverse way. We aren't gross pervs. We are experts. On what a horny movie is. And I would say mm. this is uniquely a horny film. Yeah. Unlike all the other movies we've talked about horniness in, the films of Mike Myers and stuff, where they're a horny movie that's kind of making fun of horniness, Mm. I think this is a genuinely horny film with a sexy lead, but the film is not sexy. No, it is a sexless film that seems to be driven by sex. And I think that's because it's aimed at 14 and 15-year-old boys who are so intrigued and driven by sex, but on some level terrified of it. Yeah. So it can't just be a fucking horny basic instinct. Yeah, no <laughs> like way. Fatal Attraction style movie. It's got to be just like titillation. And yes, that word was chosen it's on purpose. It's so horny in that very prepubescent way mm. where there is just like kind of that, like I was saying about it just being like a mystery, like what am I watching? There's something about yep. this. And it's kind of like quite... It's like a big gross in this movie. Yeah. But I think had it been anyone other than Angelina Jolie in this film, I think this she is perfect in this film. Well, yeah, I think the film, it pretty much already has disappeared mm. in the cultural memory, but for having Angelina Jolie in the lead. If it was anyone else, we wouldn't be talking about this movie right now. It no. It wouldn't have been remade. Well, maybe we'd be talking about it because maybe there would have been a remake. No, there just would have been yeah. like nine sequels. Yeah. Straight to DVD, and it all would have been starring Denise Richards or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, she was one of the people that they were floating. I think we should get to that in a little bit. Before we do, I want to uh, talk about my first mm. experience with this film, and I think it may be the same as yours, mm. in that uh, our first taste of Lara Croft Tomb Raider came not from seeing this at the cinemas, but from the... Uh, Show-stopping music video <laughs> for Elevation by U2, Irish pop singers. This is maybe my favourite music video of all time. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. It is... <laughs> maybe we should have stepped people before we start stepping through Tomb Raider. The video clip for Elevation, yeah. which is the Tomb Raider theme song, yeah. but it only appears as the second song in the end credits <laughs> after Where's My Head At by Basement Jacks. Yeah, it should have been Basement Jacks. Also, uh, can I just say that... Mm. Uh, 
Technically, I think this is the first adaptation of um, Lara Croft for the big screen. (laughs) (laughs) Is the video clip for the song Elevation, which, how does it go? It goes, a mole digging in a hole, digging up my soul, now going down excavation. Uh, Which is the real lyrics to the song. That seems like the Weird Al parody, (laughs) where he's like, what am I going to do? This song's got elevation, I don't know, excavation, sing about a freaking mole now? (laughs) Who knows? It's bizarre, those are real lyrics. We love you too. You um, love this film clip because of the narrative device. The narrative device. So it's one of those classic movies. Uh, adaptation song video mm. clips where they have clips from the film yeah. in the video and that's mainly what it is but they have put a storyline through it yeah. that stars you so too. We're so used to seeing those like music videos that are kind of shot on a set that looks like the movie. Like what's that one by Aqua? If I could turn back time for sliding doors, they're like it's oh, okay. it's in a train station and there's clips from the Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. John Hanna movie. And then um, they're playing on, on the subway. Yeah. It's weird that this is a kind of video clip that still exists. Like, yeah. I remember Suicide Squad had one by the 21 Pilots, <laughs> and it's just them singing in, like, a shitty jail cell and cutting to, like, Jared Leo yeah. with damage <laughs> chopped up all over his head. And this is no different. This is exactly one of those movies, but I reckon it's gone up so much in production value because they have spliced the edge into scenes from Tomb Raider. <laughs> it's so funny. So the how does video, the, how does it the start? video clip starts? Bono, just your everyday bloke. Bono, slicked back hair, blue leather shades jacket. on, leather jacket, jeans, is walking down a busy street. Yeah. He's got a big brown paper bag full of his groceries. Now, what's in the grocery bag? <laughs> There's a giant baguette yeah. hanging out the top of it. Yeah. And he stops for a second. He gets a phone call. Uh-oh. So this is on one of the first flip phones. Yeah. It probably, goes, it probably goes, Hello, Moto. Yeah. <laughs> he picks it up, puts it to his ear, and who's on the other end? This is Evil Bono. <laughs> we have the edge. We want the key. And not even Lara Croft can help you now. That is a phone call Bono answers <laughs> in the video clip. Bono not only answers, but he makes yeah. because Evil Bono Evil is Bono. But they don't really say if Evil Bono and Bono are the same bloke. I think Evil Bono is um well I mean he's he's Bono's bad side. You yeah. know what I mean? He's like um, He's Evil Bono. Bono used to, <laughs> Bono used to have this character he did live called Mr. Mistopheles. So it was like yeah. the devil. I reckon that's who Evil Bono That's Evil Bono, but the, the name never caught on. No. So I had to go back to <laughs> Evil, Evil Bono. Bono. Evil Bono. And Evil Bono is obviously uh, holding Edge. Well, actually, that Act- makes no sense for the yeah, plot of the clip. Because exactly. they're like, we have the Edge, not even Lara Croft can save you. But then the rest of the clip is uh, the edge the mucking edge around mucking around with Lara Croft. Croft. So it would presumably be Edge on green screen riffing. He's funny in this video. He's like, yeah. hey, I've got this. you got to help me out. He's and like Deadpool. Like, he's he's like, aware of the camera and Oh, he's stuff. so funny. He's doing a couple of, well, you see that happen? Yeah, like doing little takes and, and so stuff. And so this is the first taste of performance that we see of Lara Croft played by Angelina Jolie and... You saw this video clip before the movie. Of course I did. And look, I didn't play the games. I'm not... I wasn't familiar with that. You're not a freaking nerd. I'm not a freaking nerd. I'm classically a jock. Yeah. I'm classically trained jock. (laughs) You're a classically trained jock. (laughs) I went to Juilliard... (laughs) For jockness. (laughs) ...to study, like, leaning against the bonnet of car. (laughs) You went to Juilliard to study sports. Yes. (laughs) Sports and and getting laid. Yeah. 
so I didn't really know much about. I knew who Lara Croft was, obviously, because I was friends with nerds. Uh, classic comedian, diplomatic move, <laughs> moving amongst the crowd. Yeah. But when I saw this clip, I actually thought that the Edge was a cast member in <laughs> of Tomb SNL. Because <laughs> he's that funny. I thought the Edge could be on SNL. Yeah. The Edge. Well, he has been on SNL many times. <laughs> yeah. But I thought he was in Tomb Raider. Because though it's really well done the way they've spliced it well, in. Back in the day, yeah, it looks awesome. It even it's still looks good. The best CGI in Tomb Raider it's, is the yeah. edge being put into it. And so when I finally saw the movie, I was like, "Hang on, where's her buddy? Who's yeah. like got the beanie? Where's the guy with the beanie? Where's Beanie cunt? Where's Beanie boy? Where's my beanie baby? Where's my beanie boy's head at? And I thought the whole movie's gonna be that guy with those fly glasses trying to save his <laughs> mate. No, but no, that never happens. But what is the movie about? I don't know, man. I think it's about a a beautiful but brainy mm. uh, adventurer who crisscrosses the globe to save the universe once again. Yeah, I guess Google was pretty right on this because this this is such a weird movie to me now. I was really looking forward to watching this. I love this movie as a kid. I had it on VHS. I watched it so many times with my dad. I remember very, very little about it. I remember Daniel Craig was in it, though. I didn't remember that. That was just something that was just locked into my head. I mm. remember Noah Taylor was in it. And I, yeah, remembered I remember he was who in Who plays it. Hillary again? What's that actor's name? Who plays who? Hillary the butler. Oh, I have no idea. He's the guy from Red Dwarf. Sure. He's a yeah. guy from Re- Rimmer from Red Dwarf, and he's mm-hmm. a guy from the British Empire. That's Chris Barry, mm-hmm. uh, who I think is a very funny actor. And also, I remember that John Voight plays yeah. Angelina Jolie's dad, who, fun fact, <laughs> is Angelina Jolie's real-life dad. And that is a fun fact. It's a fun fact. Who played the bad guy in this? Uh, Ian Glenn, who's probably best known as Jorah Mormont on Game yes. of Thrones right now. He is uh, Sir Friendzone, as many people call him on the internet. Yeah, and they are so funny. They should be on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> they should be the writers of SNL, the Reddit commenters that say stuff like that. They should get a freaking writer. Honestly, if I could cast the next season of SNL, it would yep. be all memes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be all memes, Grumpy Cat, and musical guest <laughs> piano playing cats. Oh, God. You're a fucking idiot. Let's start uh, not only with the plot. I want to start with the character of Lara Croft herself yep. as brought to life by screen icon Angelina Jolie. I, I think that's a really good way to put that because this character is brought to life by Angelina Jolie because I think without her, this is a nothing character, really. Well, I, I, her you know traits why, are what, what are her traits? She is beautiful. She is brainy. brainy. She is rich and she kicks ass. She's got it and she flaunts it. And those can't, aren't really okay. character traits, but I think the character traits to this character that work are all things that Angelina Jolie brings to the character. Well, you know what? She's badass. She's cool. She saves the day, she gets the guy, and she looks dope while she does it. <laughs> she certainly do. She certainly do. Um, you're right. There's no... It's a threadbare. It's almost as if this character is based on a gigantic pair of jiggling tits from PlayStation. From a video game. And that, like, that's why the character became so iconic is because it was... Probably back in the day, it would have been such a bold move to have a female mm. character. And originally, this was meant to be 
the video games themselves were just like an Indiana Jones ripoff and like, oh, mm. well, they've got to be carrying guns. Let's make a buff guy. And then one day they're like, no, let's make it a woman. They just mm. kind of a spur of the moment decision that <clears throat> latched on. And I think back in the day, having a, a video game, which primarily back in the day, these action adventure games were all played by your classic nerds, people that went to freaking Juilliard <laughs> to study video games and Doritos. Yeah, they and Mountain majored Juice. in freaking Star Wars. Yeah, they they <laughs> and might in freaking Star Trek. <laughs> and they also dabbled and did one course of Stargate. <laughs> you know, these kind of guys who it would be quite subversive for them to play a video game mm-hmm. starring a woman. I mean, they they want to be with women. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. You know, that's I what know. they're like. So I, I think, I think that's why it kind of latched on and became something of like such an icon in the cultural zeitgeist before Angelina played it. Uh, I think that I believe that Lara Croft was like Marge Simpson, one of the few <laughs> fictional non real life people characters to be featured in Playboy. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Marge Simpson, Betty Boop, the three hottest babes <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's um, I don't, I mean, the character. This is I read. I read this on Wikipedia, and yep. I, I want to share it with you now. Yeah, you're so, reading a direct quote here. I'm reading it. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit because mm-hmm. there's a lot. So the main thing I knew about the character was obviously the physicality. Mm-hmm. I think that you're saying it was you know she caught on because. She was the first female lead in one of these kind of games. But also, but she also very- she's designed by men. Yes. She's curvy. She jiggles, that sort of stuff. When this film came out, fans of the Tomb Raider games complained that Angelina Jolie wasn't physically appropriate enough to play the large-breasted heroine, and Angelina had to actually publicly... Can you... She had to make a statement. ...justify her own casting in this movie which just seems just uh, it's unfathomable that that would have to happen and even like even okay there's a couple of quotes here this one's from the director simon west most famously known for con air who uh dismissed the concerns and said look it was always angelina i mean lara sleeps with knives and she doesn't take shit from anybody that's angelina down to a t angelina said uh this is in her statement Come on, I'm not so flat-chested to begin with. When I wear a tight T-shirt, I look a certain way, so it wasn't like we had to completely change me. You know, we just enhanced me a little bit. I'm a 36C, Lara's a 36D. It's only one size difference. Hearing that quote is absolutely insane because it's disgusting that this person had to make this statement like that. Also, I cannot imagine Angeline Jolie now, who's such a regal presence mm. in cinema. Like, she's kind of like almost some like a Beyonce in cinema totally. where uh, she's not a relatable real person anymore. She is above and beyond. Yeah, she's she a is, superstar. She's a superstar who has kind of a, almost like a goddess quality yeah. where they are beyond, they have a hum, uh, they ha- don't show humility. It's more like they show empathy and caring to people yeah. and to the, to the world as a, as a whole that they are not part of. She is absolutely not of this world. She mm. saves people for exactly. a living. And can, let's talk about Angelina Jolie a little bit because I was racking my brains when watching this, trying mm. to think of why do I like Angelina Jolie? What is she famous for? What are some of her good movies? And I can't think of a single fucking movie she's made that's good. Yeah, that's what true. What is going on? Well, I think this movie is partially responsible for her being... Or partially 
perhaps wholly responsible for her being the megastar that she is today. Okay. And I think deservedly is a megastar, even though she doesn't have this like career of hit, 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 hit. I think this movie, similarly to another movie star from the past, Jane Fonda, mm-hmm. in the movie Barbarella. This is kind of a shitty genre film <laughs> that is just a real sex symbol creating film sure it's an iconic sex symbol creating film just put them on the map just like Jane Fonda and Barbarella who her and Angelina Jolie both went on to have careers outside of these that made these movies forgettable apart from their sexual iconography and also they have a similar activist career as well which kind of I think ties them together and it's interesting to think about Angelina Jolie uh, in the mold of that activist uh, celebrity superstar yeah. kind of above character because I think that's what she brings to this film. I think this is the film that created the Angelina Jolie persona because it shows her as this kind of rich person that has kind of a connection to cultures around the entire world. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the best moments in this film and the best Lara Croft moments are when we see Angelina Jolie speaking to people from all these other cultures <laughs> and being able to really connect with them. Well, I was going to... I mean, we're jumping uh, around a little bit here, but I just wanted to say, uh, you've just reminded me my favourite moment of the film, and I wonder if it's yours too, is uh, when she's in... Is it the Antarctic? Where the fuck are they? Alaska? Alaska. I, to me, I'm not really sure. I don't who think knows? they signposted. And also, it's who kind cares? Of, yeah, it's kind of like a, <laughs> it's kind of like a fake Inuit-type yeah, culture. It's this sort of Inuit thing, and she starts talking to this little girl in her native tongue, mm. and the little girl's a vision, I guess, yeah. who reminds her of her dead father. And Lara Croft... Her Faja. <laughs> Lara Croft visually emotes something that is more than just badass or cool. She visually becomes sad for about a split second, Mm. and it's the only time in the movie, I think, that she's a real person. Mm. And I loved it, because for a second I went, oh, yeah, Angelina Jolie is a great actor. Mm. She has, She's obviously very magnetic, so we're drawn to watching her no matter what she does, but seeing that tiny moment of, like, humanity in this character made me... Remember that I was watching a real actor. Mm, And she is a real actor. By this point, she also mainly was known... Uh, as an Oscar-winning actress, she was in the the film Girl Interrupted that yeah. she won a Best Supporting Actress Academy Award for. But apart from that, it's hard to really place what she's done. It's just kind of maybe she was in Hackers by this point. Mm, yeah, and Gee, uh, she'd been in a few things. So but- people were like, it. I mean, uh, it, it it makes a tiny bit of sense why people were like why is it this person mm, mm. and like they want they just wanted someone that was big chested like they just wanted freaking Pammy Anderson <laughs> <laughs> just imagine to write a big play by Pammy they wanted it to be a freaking barbed wire movie they wanted a freaking barbed wire <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to read through yeah um, who else was perhaps talked about these are the shortlisted actors who were potentially going to be playing Lara Croft Jennifer Love Hewitt no awful choice yeah, bad choice. Bad choice. I think she can kind of resemble Lara Croft, but I don't think she could bring any to the stuff that Angelina no. Jolie would And look, I, I love Jennifer Love Hewitt, but mainly for her music career. <laughs> yeah, the hit single, How Do I Deal? One yeah. of the greats. Uh, Famke Jensen. Oh, uh, she actually might have been great. She would have been good. great. Uh, Jennifer Lopez. Nah. Uh, Ready back then, she was kind of doing cool stuff like out Anaconda. Of sight. Anaconda. <laughs> this is basically Anaconda. Uh, Rona Mitra, Elizabeth Hurley, one of your favorites. Oh, Liz Hurley. Yeah. 
God. I now, can't she even... could have done it, right? Because she's got the kind of regal, yeah. kind of aristocratic um, vibe. She's She is, like, obviously sexy, but I she can would... do... She can use that in a way that's dangerous. I think, could be cool. I think maybe it would have to be a funnier movie. Because I think Liz Hurley's so funny that... Yeah. I don't know. I just bamboozled I, your favorite movie. Yeah, but is it bedazzled? Oh yeah, bamboozled <laughs> is one of my favorite movies. Directed by Spike Lee, one of oh, my favorite filmmakers. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Ashley Judd. Uh, oh, too much of a serious actor. Yeah, Sandra Bullock, too funny. Too funny, and I can't picture her being British. Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's close. She's I think good. that's very close. I've never really seen her in an action movie. Zorro, you got to watch. Oh, her I've seen Zorro. Yeah, I've seen she's Zorro. Great in Zorro. Uh, Diane Lane. Ooh. Yeah, odd left field there. Demi Moore. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, and we mentioned her earlier, Denise Richards. Denise Richards. Dr. Christmas Jones Gosh, herself. I think... Ah, Christmas only comes but once a year. <laughs> or so just I Just kidding, thought. because I just made you come and I'm James Bond. Oh, Bond, baby. <laughs> yeah, Denise Richards can't picture her in... I can picture her on the poster... Yeah. But I cannot picture her as Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> Lara Croft, colon, Tomb Raider. So that's us talking about Jolie. I think um, she's freaking great in this movie. She is the real thing that kind of gets you through it because now that we've talked about her, this movie kind of is a bit of a shitty turd for the rest of it. Oh, really. it's, it's really shit, man. It's, it's pretty it's, incomprehensible. Well, I just, I have one real complaint. I mean, obviously I'm going to praise the star power of Angelina Jolie. Mm. I'll happily watch anyone that looks cool, looks good, <laughs> saves the day, gets the guy and looks dope while they do yeah. it. But um, she's too cool. Mm. Like, the movie begins with this fight sequence with her and a robot that um, she just destroys this robot that's been programmed to kill her. Yeah. And effortlessly, like, she doesn't break a sweat. And then, so for the rest of the movie, I'm like, okay, I don't really give a shit. She's never going to die. She'll never die. I hate movies that open with something like this where it's just, she's fighting this CGI robot. And then she kicks his ass and you find out it's a training simulation. That's one of the worst. You invest your first five, six minutes into something that is not real. So straight away, once you get out of it, you're like... You feel cheated. You feel cheated. You feel cheated by... You're just like, I don't know. I thought we started real media res and now we're out of it. And then the next scene of the film is just it's such a gratuitous shower scene yeah like it's the definition of a gratuitous shower scene in a movie which just is like hey by the way she is hot in the space of about 30 seconds she goes from fully naked in the shower which you see from behind to putting on a robe to walk to her bedroom and then once she gets to the bedroom she takes the robe off again Mm. and we see her naked again from behind and that's probably the horniest stuff in the whole film. The rest. Well, is- I got to be honest. I had to pause the movie there. <laughs> well, I think I- and run a cold shower. Yeah, I remember when I was in primary school. There was a rumor that this film was like calibrated so that her breasts were center screen at all times. I mean, it wouldn't freaking surprise me. That was just like a, a six-year-old's rumor about this that film. That is, what nerd school did you go to I where went people to are Juilliard saying calibrated? Oh, okay. <laughs> Juilliard for nerd. We will learn calibration <laughs> in year one, baby. I can't stand that, that opening where it's such a classic mm. attempt at comedy when, you know, she defeats the robot and it looks like she's going to deprogram it, but all she does is plug in a USB called Lara's Party Mix 
and the thing pretty much just becomes an iPod dock. Yeah. And then it's playing this shit fucking <laughs> techno oh, God, dated like techno, techno music while she yeah. just like saunters back into her manner. Yeah. And also, can I say, I hate that she's a millionaire. Yeah. I forgot that was part of the story. Really? That's what I, I could never forget. Give a shit she's so rich. About watching the richest person mm. in the world like go on these little fucking Hobby missions. I love it that Indiana Jones is struggling all the time to like He's a teacher. Pay money. Yeah, he's just a he's, he's a, a university teacher, lecturer. And he needs to do these shit things so he can like sell them to the museum in order to live. That's why I think Jolie is great in this movie and why it helps shape her career is because this is a character that you can't relate to. You Absolutely can enjoy cannot. watching, but you cannot relate to I her. I can I gotta admit, I could barely enjoy it because at a certain point I was like just Give me something I can cling to to this person. Every time yeah. she does a cool, crazy flip or has to kill 50 guys, she all she does is smile and mm. do that little smirk. She never sweats. Yeah. It infuriated me. About halfway through the movie, I was furious that she hadn't expressed any pain or yeah. anger yet. I don't think I could tell you anything about what the plot of this movie is. I no. know it's the Illuminati, and I know that because this is the movie where I found out the Illumi- what the Illuminati is. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. to me, Illuminati and Tomb Raider are synonymous. Yeah, of course. Illuminati, uh- colon, Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's them. And um, I think the way they kind of... Re- we- they try to make her relate is that they give her, I would say, quite a charming relationship between her, Noah Taylor, and Chris Barry, who mm. are... Noah Taylor's kind of a tech guy. Yeah. Who... Uh, Noah Taylor's a great Australian actor. I, I was think thinking he's so he must funny. have... Um, this must be, like, riding on the success of Shine, It would be right, right after Shine. So, Shine blew up. Oscar winner, I'm sure. I don't know if Noah Taylor won, but um, no, Jeffrey Rush did, Jeffrey right? Rush did, even though I think Noah Taylor is probably the true lead of He's the, the film. He's the lead, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Rush won Best Leading Actor. Maybe Taylor was... I don't think would have been nominated. But at the very least, this like kind of this kind of made Noah Taylor the uh, like international actor that he is. Mm. He was already great over here. Great over here in movies like Flirting yep. and the movie before Flirting, which is The Year My Voice Broke. And the two of the that gr- other one with Ben Mendelsohn. That's, that's, the, that's Year 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 My Voice Broke. That's The Year My Voice yeah, Broke. Yeah, and sure, then Flirting's sure. the sequels of that yep. with Pandy Newton, mm. Naomi Watts, and Nicole Kidman. If you've never seen those, they're the two of the best Australian films of all time. They're great coming-of-age films, and Noah Taylor is superb in them. I think he's fun in this. He's heaps fun. Um, he also... It's the first time he's playing a role that he will play again and again and yeah, again yeah. in Hollywood movies, even as recently as Live, Die, Repeat yeah. <laughs> slash Edge of Tomorrow recently, where he's just like the gadget man who is also comic relief. Yeah. And um, I think it works, and that's why he's been kind of typecast as mm. it. And I think Chris Barry, him, and Lara... Uh, Chris Bailey played, of course, like I just mentioned, plays Hillary the butler. Um, I think they have a fun kind of little family dynamic. I yeah, like cool. seeing them. I really like seeing them together. It is cool. And that's kind of the way that they try and make Lara feel more relatable. Mm. But it's not... It doesn't really work for many a reason. One of the big reasons I want to shout out right now mm-hmm. is this film doesn't have its own identity no. because it, it comes out in the year 2001 and is in that sludge of films that are the turds left by the matrix films that mm. are just trying to be the matrix mm. this is it there's leather there's sunglasses mm-hmm. there's double guns there's shitty music <laughs> and this is just trying to be the matrix you know that's mm. the point in time that we are stuck in right now there's so many forgettable movies in the wake of this and i think that is the downfall for both of the tomb raider films uh tomb raider lara croft 
colon, Tomb Raider, and Lara Croft, colon, Tomb Raider, dash, The Cradle of Life, <laughs> the sequel of this film, which I watched both of these films. Did you yeah. get a chance to watch both? No, I only watched the first one. I didn't want to watch the second one. I no. bought both for like four bucks you on eBay from, Blu- <laughs> from Blu-ray, just so you were the, ex-rental. You were telling me that uh, Cradle of Life... Is directed by Yanda Bont. Yeah, Yanda Bont. That's crazy. Yeah. That's such a step up from Simon West. No disrespect to the director of Con Air, Con Air and the is Expendables too. Con Air, uh, Expendables, I've not seen. I'm yeah. not too familiar with Simon West's oeuvre, but I would say Yanda Bont is a great action filmmaker. Yeah, Speed, Speed Two, Cruise Control, mm-hmm. Twister, mm-hmm. Tomb Raider. The Cradle of Life <laughs> is the last film he directed in oh, 2003. Man. But the the I found the sequel to be actually genuinely better than the first one. It's, it's more comprehensible. Mm-hmm. It's got the camp factor d- uh, taken up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of more silly. But it came out in, I think, 2003, which is around the time Jason Bourne came out. Yeah, that's what so I was So I think say. it kind of changed... Much like the, this was a kind of a response to the mm-hmm. Matrix, trying to live on that, and it's around the time those movies kind of started becoming forgettable, like the crappy Matrix ripoffs, and then I think the genre of like kind of globe trotting espionage adventure films was for a very long time changed by the Jason Bourne films, yeah. where anything else seemed weird and mm. lame compared to this. The Cradle of Life seems so much like a James Bond film. Mm. And I could really, if it had come out five, six years earlier, around the time Tomorrow Never Dies had come out, I could see this being a franchise like James Bond, where there are maybe four or five in it. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe yeah, four or five films, all with Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. Maybe they made one more with another actress. Denise or Richards. Like that. They made one with Denise Richards that went. That was a TV movie, <laughs> and that's it. But I think no, it was just an ad. Yeah, play, it was just <laughs> for an a ad. watch. Yeah, for a <laughs> for an for Omega a- watch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Uh, And I just kind of found... I I found it fun to watch and everything is better about it. Jared Butler is the love interest this Mm -hmm. time and he's not doing an American accent like Daniel Craig tried, which I don't think worked Mm -hmm. at all, especially compared to Angela Jolie, an actual American, who's doing a pretty good British Mm -hmm. accent that's like, it never really falters. Yeah. And then, so he's just playing his own Scottish self. Their relationship is like also similar to theirs where they're rivals that also worked together that also had a past together mm-hmm. um, then the villain is played by Kieran Hines mm-hmm. who is also Game also of Thrones also from GOT GOT that's the king beyond the wall and the music is now done by Alan Silvestri so that's the score's crazy. just it's not the best score but it's also just it's not as shit up. as the original step up Stephen D'Souza the, mm-hmm. the writer of Die Hard wrote the sequel um, so it's a step up and do you know who loved both of these movies? Roger Ebert gave both the two uh, Raven movies three stars. Tragically, though. We lost him. We did lose him. We lost Ebert. We lost Ebert. And, but thankfully, he did give us a blessing. Thankfully, his, his reviews live on, online and in archived format. <laughs> and through us, as I gotta, the new Roger Ebert boys. <laughs> um... I do want to say, if they are going to be Bond movies, if these Tomb Raider movies are Bond, they are Pierce Brosnan era Big Bond. Time. Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, that's the era that they exist in to me. They're not classic movies by any sense. They make the mistake, well, this one especially, it makes the mistake that I think a lot of espionage movies do, which is that it thinks we care about watching two people have a serious conversation mm. when we do not. 
No. We don't. I don't care about watching Angelina sit opposite um, fucking, what's his name from Game of Thrones? Ian Glenn. Uh, Ian Glenn and make kind of like innuendo small talk. I don't care. I just want to see her raiding tombs and yeah. shooting people with her two guns. And also it's a, I think it's this like, if because it's a video game adaptation, all those sequences feel like cutscenes to me mm. that I wish I could skip and get to the next set piece. And don't get me wrong, some of the set pieces are kind of cool in this movie. Yeah. The main one that I remembered, I guess, from the Elevation film clip yeah. is the bungee jump sequence, the bungee cord sequence in her living room, which is preposterous mm. and crazy, but that's so fun yeah. in this movie because there's been so much like stuffy British drawing room There's so much of that stuffy up British drawing room. Do you know what movie this reminded me of tonally? What? It, Johnny English. Yeah, like, totally. It looks shitty like Johnny English. It looks English. shitty and there's a lot of like people sitting in front of fireplaces talking about and things. And a lot of people are like, yes, it's, I'm it's glad like, you were able to come in today. It's like, oh God, can we please there's set this in America or something? <laughs> yeah. I can't can listen to this fucking American in this anymore? fucking movie. <laughs> it's just, I think as well in this film, another Johnny English scene is there's a scene where Lara goes to an auction and she actually bids like $2 million on something. And yeah. she's like, oh shit, I shouldn't be doing that. It's like a weird, there's like the weird comedy beats where it's just like, I don't, and then she, someone else bids on it. And she has this sigh of relief. That's such a fucking Johnny English scene. There's so much Another Johnny English scene is she she she's on the phone to the same auctioneer guy and she has a lean cuisine that explodes in the microwave. She just uh, takes it out and yeah. throws it in the bin. I forgot about that. That was such an odd moment. What, you can't get the butler to make you something nice to eat? Can I say um, another criticism I have with this? Yes, of and course. Of course. We are a film criticism podcast, Cameron. <laughs> I would dream for nothing less also, than you to we criticize. are officially the only film podcast on the internet. Look it up. Don't even... Fuck with me on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Beautiful. You learned nerd at Juilliard. Yeah, you didn't yeah. want the class I did, nerd. I did a semester abroad. <laughs> um, normally, I did a few broads a semester. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, okay. Tell you what I hate, um, and I know it's a hangover from the games that they were kind of recreating a little bit. It's the um, puzzle-like traps that exist in every tomb mm. that she needs to solve in order to, I guess, oh, get God. through. I think the problem with them for me is that, and I'm going to compare it to one of my favorite films of all time, Indiana Jones, is that those traps in the Indiana movies or those sequences are so simple. Mm. It's just a fucking rolling boulder or you put the staff in this hole and the light shines through and it shows you where it's buried. Yeah. In, in Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider... It's just always elaborate, Some puzzle intricate, mousetrap shit yeah. where you have to turn a key at this exact time and then these two things line up and then a big pillar falls from the roof and oh, swings gosh. and it has to pierce an urn. And in Indiana what Jones... Who cares about seeing that urn get so pierced? I don't even vi- understand what that even was. It's that such whole a video trap. game thing. It's like, well, why would you put that in the film? And Indiana Jones, they're so simple and it lets you do the work. You're like, yeah. oh, Jehovah begins with an I. Yeah. You hear that and you're like, not J and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's you coming, piece it's gonna it together. Come up. In you this, it's it just, all right, she's going to have to jump on that thing and then that'll make that Pull fall. And, and then those two things will twist twist and then that'll make that explode it's it's just so intricate that for me as an audience member i think there's no way 
that these dummies from 2,000 years ago yeah. could have made this shit. Not at all. And look, I know I'm saying that from a place of privilege in the year of our Lord, 2018, but it's too smart for yeah. people from from the olden days. I know. I mean, sure, they were ahead of us in so many ways or whatever, but you... Yeah. I mean, they had some pretty cool ideas regarding clothing. Mm. I wish people yeah. would go back to just wearing leaves <laughs> and shit. Togas, Total, baby. like little toga. 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 <laughs> um, I think uh, this... I don't really know what else I have to say about this film. It's not good, that's for sure. I am kind of happy that I got to watch it again, mm. you know, relive a bit of my time, see Angelina Jolie in a movie. I actually don't know the last time I would have seen Angelina Jolie well, in a okay, film. Okay, you, you surprised me earlier when you told me the top five grossing films in Angelina Jolie's... Yeah, I I, I, I wrote this as a trivia question recently, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, what are Angelina's top five highest grossing films at the US domestic box office? I had to make the addendum live action films, because otherwise they would have been Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Kung Fu Panda, Kung Fu Panda 2, Kung Fu Panda 3, and Shark Tale. That's crazy. Which are all those kind of crappy DreamWorks. I mean, Kung Fu Panda's pretty good, actually. I've actually never and, seen it. And uh, I Shark Tale is the last collaboration between Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. <laughs> they are both in that film. For now, I can't wait for The Irishman oh, or whatever it is that's coming out. On Netflix. Okay, um, I have another criticism before yep. we go, before we wrap it up. Uh, and I think you're going to like it. Okay. Okay. So there's a sequence in this movie. You've, you've already mentioned that iconic shower scene in the first like two yep. minutes of this movie. There is another shower scene that comes a little later. Mm. And this time, Daniel Craig is the object of the male gaze. Mm. And he gets a full sequence where he's showering. He hears a knock at the door. And then he walks through his house naked to answer the door. But at every camera angle... His dick is carefully shrouded by a piece of furniture or a shadow or a lamp or a lounge. And all I could think about was Austin Powers. Powers. And I know that they were trying to be sexy. They were trying to be like, let's give the ladies a little something too. Let's give this ripped dude naked and you can like just see the V underneath his abs and like a hint of the mons pubis. But... There's just, I'm sorry, there's nothing sexy about a guy walking around, but his dick is conveniently covered yeah. by... By, <laughs> by, a, by an abacus, <laughs> by, by a long sausage, by pouring of tea. It doesn't work. I think as well, they should have just filmed it the same way from behind. You're just seeing this See dick that- swinging from each side. <laughs> just the little back of the dick. That's what I want. More movies need to have male dick in it. I think so too. I think that they went to great pains to sexualize Angelina Jolie in this movie. We see side boob. Mm. Why not see side ball? I just want to see <laughs> a scrote sack from behind, you know, a new angle. Yeah, I'd love but to do see you think that. Derek and Daniel Craig would have some meaty nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, dude. The guy is hanging fat fruit. <laughs> He's got some juicy plums. Oh, gosh. Can I say I've never said hanging fat fruit before? <laughs> I don't know if anyone has. No, it's that's not, a great... It's not bad. That's not bad, man. It's not bad. We should do a podcast, a spinoff of this called Hanging Fat Fruit. We just review movies <laughs> where guys hang fruit in them. <laughs> How many balls do you get to see in cinema? Not many. Not many. If any. Well, we would do a lot of European movies, I guess. <laughs> yes, we would. Uh, my 
are we wrapping up? I think we're kind of wrapping up. I don't really have too much else to say because the plot is really incomprehensible. No. There's no point really stepping through it. The film does end with Angelina Jolie having saved the day. She talked to her dead dad, played by her real dad, John Voight, who for many years was dead to her when she didn't <laughs> talk to him. I think recently they have reconnected, but they do not have too much in common anymore um, <laughs> because Angelina Jolie is famously a progressive, caring person. Her father no longer is. <laughs> so, you know, it's just whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs> That's the biz. It's a pretty stylish movie. It has a few moments that are quite flashy and interesting, but at the end of the day, I think you're right. It was a really good assessment that it's living in the shadow of the Matrix. Mm. And, and that kind of era, that like early 2000s uh, action movie era, is so forgettable to me. And mm. this is a perfect example of a forgettable movie. Yeah. If it weren't for that poster, I would have never thought about this movie again. Never. If it weren't for this podcast, I probably would never have watched it again. And I, I, Honestly, I am glad to have watched it again. Okay. But I... Um, I'm right there with you. I'm right mm. there with you. I don't think it's very good. Mm. Um, maybe it's worth revisiting if you've got a few mates. I think this is the perfect movie to have on in the background. <laughs> if you've got a few mates. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I think this is just like, if you're riffing with your friends yeah. and you want something that you can just don't need to pay attention to, th- this is like the movie. I could not pay attention to this film. I watched it two and a, like one and a half times because I just like, I, I just, <laughs> I got more into doing invoicing <laughs> than watching this film so i just went back to that yeah it's look uh, let me ask you a question then okay mm-hmm. if having just watched both of them recently yeah knowing the games do you think there's there would be any value in rebooting this movie i think it is genuinely i think it is the right time to reboot something like this mm-hmm. i think we have come so far in the last couple of years in female-led action films Mm -hmm. where there is a strong desire for more of them to exist. Mm -hmm. And it's in the right point of the cultural zeitgeist to kind of jump onto that and create your own kind of different take on a kind of action adventure. A swashbuckler. A swashbuckler, yeah. And I think this this could be the right franchise to do that with uh, because I think... Lara Croft is a real blank slate of a character uh-huh. where you can just get an actress in and put whatever you kind of want and sculpt it to what you want to be. And I know that the video games have also had like a strong reboot in probably the last, maybe the last seven years where they've kind of changed it, made it a bit more real, made Lara a bit more of a conflicted character. And mm-hmm. I think there is room for it. And that's why I'm excited to talk about Tomb Raider. Next week. Yeah, I think Alicia Vickin is a perfect choice for this reboot casting, so I'm very excited to see it. From seeing the trailer, I knew we are going to get something completely different Mm -hmm. to this, and I'm excited to see it. It looks quite brutal and interesting, Mm. so I think that's going to be fun. Yeah, I don't really know too much about it. Uh, We will be seeing it very soon, and that episode will be coming out in the next couple of days. This is coming to you on a Tuesday. The next one will probably come to you on a Thursday or a Friday. So Mm -hmm. stay tuned on the Total Reboot feed, baby. Tomb Raider starring Alicia Vikander is in cinemas now. Uh, I believe it is doing pretty okay at the box office. (laughs) I think it's doing okay. I don't think it made just enough to topple Black Panther, Uh which I think is number one for five weeks as of this weekend. Yeah. So it's it's close, but I don't know if it had enough to break through. Alexi, let's wrap it up. But before we go home, I've got to ask you a quick question. 
I mean, this is a little segment we used to do on the blank slate. Mm-hmm. What have you watched? What have you seen? What have you watched? What? 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 Blah, 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 blank slate. Oh, our segment where we get to recommend a movie to our listeners that is not a reboot, remake, or rip-off. That's right. I think we have the same one this week to kick us off. Mm. Uh, we've got, both just saw Annihilation, the latest uh-huh. film from Alex Garland, that is on Netflix. It released on Netflix yeah. in this country. What a strange turn of events that turned out to be, because it did get a theatrical release over in the States, right? Very, very small and quite brief. And why? what happened with this shit? Um, Paramount uh-huh. is a producer of it. We did talk about it on the Blank Slate Movie Podcast a few weeks ago with uh, how they freaked out and sold... They sold the para... What's it called? Para, uh, Cloverfield Paradox. The Cloverfield Paradox mm. Experiment or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, they the freaking sold, Cloverfield they, Paradox. They freaked out and sold it to Netflix. They did the same thing with this film. And I don't think it was necessarily a bad idea for this one because this is a kind of movie that might not really latch on because it's a kind of heady, thoughtful, science mm. fiction, mm. horror film that's not really known for making it in the box office, really. But they all... Those films often do get a huge following on demand. So, yeah, so and maybe. people like people who have Netflix will watch this type of yeah, movie for sure. I did, and I'm not necessarily even a big Alex Garland fan or mm. a big sci-fi fan, but I did enjoy it. Mm. I think what I like more is talking about Alex Garland movies mm. than watching them. Yeah, I like having. And maybe one day we will them. when we talk about Judge Dread and Dread. The film oh. that was ghost directed by Alex Garland, apparently. Really? Yeah. What was he like? DOP he wrote it. No, he wrote it. He wrote it. it. He yeah. wrote it, and I think he was the actual secret director. Who really direct? Who officially a, directed? I don't know. Some fucking some guy. Simon West, maybe. <laughs> Probably a Simon West type. <laughs> some journeyman. Yeah. Did Simon West direct Judge Dread? Uh, no, surely not. Oh, it's written by Stephen D'Souza. Judge Dredd is written by Stephen D'Souza. That's why he's been on my mind recently. Oh, lucky you. Lucky you. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so um, what did you think of this movie? Where do you land on Annihilation? I really liked it, but I didn't Mm. go in with any expectations. Mm. All I knew was the cast, and I love that cast. Great group of people. Gene Rodriguez was incredible in it. I I pretty much only know her from Jane the Virgin, like a lot of people do. It's really cool to see her in something like this. I'm I'm a sucker for seeing someone who's mainly in a light comedy do Mm. something completely different. She was great in it. Um, But also, I'm a very basic bitch when it comes to sci-fi and horror, so... While I love the ideas being floated, the idea of mutation and change and how maybe humanity fighting that is a bad idea, um, uh, I think I liked the jump scares more than I Mm. liked the um, final sequence, which a lot of people have been talking about. I I liked the final sequence. I genuinely loved everything in the shimmering world where it's an embracement of kind of a science fiction horror film much like The Thing or Mm, Alien mm. uh, and where the film kind of differed from those by was creating a world that was different and creating an aesthetic that was different Mm. by kind of making things that are both simultaneously scary, disturbing, yet also beautiful, like those kind of weird fungally mm. infection patterns that look gorgeous, like mm. a beautiful pastel set of flowers and stuff like that. I thought it was fantastic. And that sequence with the, a mutant bear yeah. is a 10 out of 10 knockout sequence. It's what, it's a, it, I think almost, almost an instantly iconic horror moment. Yeah. 
It's so good and so scary. And the kind of the unique device that they employ with that is just, I can't believe that's never been done before because you watch and just go, this makes sense on paper as scary. In execution, it is terrifying. Yeah, it really grossed me out. It was just scary shit. The main thing I heard about this movie were the visuals. I Mm. guess Alex Garland, even the things he's written are pretty visual. Mm. Um, We're talking about the beach. We're talking mm. about sunshine. Mm -hmm. He's pretty. He's a, he's a, he can create a fascinating world. But um, one thing I really I avoided reading about because I really wanted to see it was there was an article on Vulture about how this film merged uh, bio and like organic and human kind of DNA in a lot mm. of the in a lot of the gross things that we see or the weird things we see. And I immediately went, I can't read this article because this sounds so unique and interesting. I Mm. need to see it. I've since heard it described as biopsychedelia, which is where nature elements and human elements are combined in order to make something a bit uncanny valley. It Mm. looks familiar, but it's not. Back in the day, we called that shagadelic. I'm so glad we're doing this podcast. <laughs> Me too. I can't talk about that kind of stuff forever anymore. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I kind of I liked the visuals that we saw in it, but also I think I liked the tone. Mm. It was just a very like tense. It was just like throbbed along. Mm. Even the whole final sequence kind of felt like a felt like a different movie to the start. It was, yeah, it was so it changed the I whole think, way through. I think it's better than the start of the film. I think my main big criticism, mm. which stops this from being a very very good movie for me, mm-hmm. which kind of just keeps it to being a very, a very good film or a competent film or a good film, mm-hmm. um, is I think the non linear storytelling is a huge mistake in this film, especially when it comes to building tension. Yeah, I just think it takes a lot away. The best moments in this film was when it's banging as a unique horror film. Yeah. So anything that kind of detracts from that for me is a miss. Yeah, you're right. That's true. But I do recommend it, and I think there's been some really good conversations people have been having about this film. One of the main conversations is, why didn't this get a cinema release over here? Yeah. And it could have, you know? It could have gotten a cool, even just a small one. There's a couple of palace screens, maybe. Yeah. Hopefully some our friends at Golden Age Cinema might get the chance to screen something like this, but I feel like because it's a Netflix film mm. in this country, it's not going to happen. It would look great on a big screen. The colours in this are gorgeous. Like, it looks really yeah. good. Yeah. Do you know what else I think looks gorgeous? Oh, no. Seeing one of my dear friends prancing around oh. on the stage oh, no. down at the Melbourne International Comedy <laughs> Festival. <laughs> Thank you for that gorgeous segue. <laughs> uh, if you're in Melbourne, please come and watch me do my show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I'll be there uh, every night for the whole festival run that starts at the end of this month, goes through to the end of next. 7 o'clock at the Greek Center. You can find tickets on the internet. The internet is great. That's it's, where I got Netflix. It's one of the best resources for information and buying shit on the internet. And all you need to do is just Google Cameron James Melbourne Comedy Festival or go to my Twitter and Instagram and find the links in what the What are those, there. baby? It's at I am Cameron James. And you know what? What's yours? Mine's at mm. this is Alexi. And on there, you'll be able to find out about my little comedy information. I am hosting Greenlights Comedy Nights on the 30th of March. We're probably the only cool thing to do on Good Friday in Sydney. <laughs> probably the only place you can get a beer as well. So yeah. that's going to be really cool. It's going to be me, my friend Nico Malian, hosting. It's only 10 bucks. It's at the Gaelic Club in Surrey Hills, Sydney. 
at 8 p.m. We've got a bunch of great acts, including one of our favorites, Kate Johnson. Nice. I believe she's going to be doing a big old spot there, baby. Oh, CJ, one of my faves. Yeah. She's great. She's a great one to watch, baby. And you can watch her at Green Lights. Um, you know what I'm very excited to do right now, because we've never gotten to do it before, mm-hmm. is plug our new Twitter. We are on Twitter, at Total Reboot Pods. So you talk can chat to, to us, us. There. recommend movies you want to see us talk about that have been rebooted. And you know what? While we're talking interaction, jump on over to iTunes or mm-hmm. wherever you download, whatever podcatcher you choose, yes. and uh, give us five stars. And in your five-star review, decide on a film you'd like to see rebooted, and maybe we'll get to talk about that on a later episode of the podcast Ah. about our pitches for reboots. And if you've got a pitch for a reboot, maybe you've got a silly one, or maybe you've got a real serious one about like how you would actually reboot a franchise. Put that in your review as well. I think that'd be really fun to talk about. Because we're we're pretty much starting again. Obviously, uh, if you listen to the blank slate on Mic Check, you know us, but this is a new podcast, and we need... Your help. So yeah. it would be great if you guys could give us some reviews, some stars, recommend it, tell your friends yeah. who like Share movies us on Facebook. to listen to this stuff. I think this is probably our most accessible podcast. You can tell people what it is. It's two funny blokes hanging out. They're also woke. And they're also <laughs> talking about reboots, remakes, and rip-offs. Yeah. So, so it would mean the world if you could share it with people. It would people. mean the world to us. Just... As we mean the world to you. (laughs) (laughs) And coming out later this week, we will be continuing our conversation about the world of Lara Croft, the Tomb Raider, in the new film starring Alicia Vikander in cinemas now, Tomb Raider. Until next time, I bid you a fond farewell. (laughs) Take it sleazy. (laughs) Smell you later. (laughs) And don't let the door hit you on the way out. Wait up, Pod.